All right. Uh, I think we know what this uh, this sound means. The sound that, well, you can't hear, Mark, but... Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like beginnings, though. Yes. The beginning of something. <laughs> yeah, but it's probably not. It's going to be two hours. Ah, well. <laughs> we can fix it in post. Yeah, I, you know, Isn't I, that the byword? Yeah. And believe me, I, I don't really fix it I have. But. Oh, uh, yeah, I know how that goes. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't. I really don't do a whole lot of editing. Unle- well, on my monologues, I've done a lot of I've been trying to keep most of my stuff live to tape as well. Although, I feel that when I explain it that way, I'm showing my age. Yes, because that's what getting old is like. <laughs> Why, yes, Tell Mark. <laughs> yes, Mark. This is exactly <laughs> what I need to do. Rescue me. Rescue me. Wake up with a random shoulder thing. Uh, well, somebody tells you that Nirvana is <laughs> showing up on a classic rock station. Yeah, now that makes me feel old. Because <laughs> I, 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 you ever watch some of these people that like do uh, song reviews and stuff like that on YouTube? And they're just yeah, like now yeah. discovering like... I didn't know Rush was such a good band, uh, you know, or, man, I've never heard Van Halen before. What? <laughs> well, I mean, you, you stop to think about it, Nirvana was, what, 90s? That's 30 years ago. You know, I remember like it was just yesterday, so stop it. <laughs> uh, no. why, are you, why are you trying to add insult? <laughs> <laughs> what did you talk about? The the saddest moment was after a big event. I, you know, the the crew wanted to to go for a drink, and half half of them weren't old enough to buy. <laughs> that is why. Okay. Now people bring their kids. You know. Um. Okay. Well. Now I'd like to welcome everybody to. Uh, Thoughts from a Lawnmower with Will Rouser, and today is going to be a special episode. Tonight's going to be a special episode. It's not quite night yet, um, although I'm sure it's night somewhere. Um, but anyway, uh, to my Australian friends, it's just now morning. Um, but anyway, uh, today's guest is my friend, uh, very close friend, and old friend, um, Mr. Mark Bustle Jr. <laughs> and uh, you had to throw in the old part. Yes, I did. Well, you deserve it because, like you, <laughs> I if I ever want, if I ever need to be humbled or you know my esteem shot down, I'll just call Mark. <laughs> He'll say, "Hey, uh, <laughs> you're old." <laughs> but anyway, just just because we. <laughs> But I still have my hair. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> here I'm gonna I'm gonna do a little adjustment here. All right. Um, sorry about that. I had to throw that in. It's the only way I can get you back. I know. I know. Um, but um, in today's episode, we're gonna kind of do a couple of things. And first is I'm gonna kind of introduce y'all to uh, my friend here, and 
explain why he's going to be helping me with the uh, with the rest of the podcast, and that is um, I'm going to take some questions from my listeners. Uh, I've got I got one or two, and uh, uh, I've got tens of people listening to this podcast, and uh, literally I do, and uh, I wanted to kind of set up something a little different. I didn't want to just have a conversation, although Mark and I are going to have a short one. But I would like to, uh, I would like to answer some of your qu- questions related to guitar. And I, I may, I posted an announcement um, on Podbean, uh, kind of a, it was a little fifteen minute blurb, uh, to let everybody know that I was going to be answering some guitar questions from listeners. And uh, so before we get started with that, I want to tell you why my friend Mark here is going to be, he's going to be the MC. He's going to be the uh, question giver. He's going to uh, read the questions to me and read the names or the monikers of the people that have asked the questions, and then I'm going to proceed to wax eloquent uh, and give my opinions on these questions. Um, So why am I having Mark do this? Well, uh, Mark and I have been friends since he was 19. We met at church, and he was doing the, you were doing whatever computer stuff we had to do, uh, and you yep. were, uh, you still had hair then. <laughs> oh, hush. <laughs> but now, uh, now, you know, <laughs> but, but let me tell you, but, but I want to say that, uh, because you did this, you you are uh, also into music, but um, who was your favorite artist at the time? I think he's still your favorite artist. Um, maybe not my favorite right now, but still definitely one of my one of my fairly regular listeners. And I, I know where you're going with this. Um, in college, one of the radio station, one of the local radio stations, was running a Shave for Dave contest where you could win tickets to Dave Matthews band. And I shaved my head as part of the contest and not all of it grew back. So uh, I decided, you know what, rather than hide the inevitable or fight the inevitable, I just fired the rest before they quit Quits, right. and grew a nice big bushy beard <laughs> since I can't grow a nice big bushy head of hair. Yeah. And so <laughs> if, if, uh, if I, if I took Mark's picture and I were to turn it upside down, that's what he would have looked like when he was 19. <laughs> no, because unfortunately, this time thing keeps on ticking. And uh, for the audio listeners, there's a lovely little uh, patch of bleached hair, uh, some highly sun, uh, some highly desaturated patches in my beard. Let's go with that. That that feels nicer. Yes, we're, we're going to go with nice feelings. Yes. Um, now, yeah. Yeah. one of the things that, 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 um, that got us, besides, I mean, it, it was church and of course, but we, we, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about well, some theology and I believe you were even uh, teaching Sunday school 
or you were teaching Sunday school yeah. at the time. Yeah, I was teaching that, one of the Sunday school classes at the time. And uh, I was doing... We were working through, uh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so uh, and so we would often, you know, spend a lot of time chatting about some of the stuff that, that you had brought up. And uh, I was also, I was doing speaking there. And uh, so, you know, we would often spend some time together. I, I remember a couple times we, we went out to lunch and... You know, we hung out and just, and of course, um, you know, we got involved in the PC games and we started doing, oh, yeah. and, and of course, you know, a lot of this developed over time. We, we started doing, um, we started playing, uh, first person shooter games and, uh, having land parties and, uh, you know, you see kids. Yes. Back in the day, there was no online gaming. Yes. The the only line you got on was the line you ran from one computer to the other in the same room. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And uh, see, I'm old, but <laughs> Mark's not that far behind me. Well, actually, he is. But that's the last point. Um, so uh, anyway, and then Mark, uh, you started getting involved in things like photography and uh i mean i, I at least that's where you yep you know you started yeah, a little bit of amateur photography i was going to college for programming and uh at the time jesus joshua needed a website and i needed a class project <laughs> which coincided very nicely with each other yes and, and then part and, of that started taking Taking photos and keeping the website up to date and right. schlepping gear. And yeah, and, and that's where I was gonna go to next. You you became our roadie. Uh and not only our roadie, but you became uh by osmosis, I guess, you became my uh my guitar tech. Uh you know, and uh I don't read you know, I I don't remember I mean you weren't at every show, but uh, I don't, I, you know, you were pretty good at, uh, you know, I showed you my layout and you, you know, you, you were familiar with the music and you were familiar with how I had everything set up and how everything I had wired. So it, it really wasn't, you know, it wasn't a difficult stretch and I, I was, I didn't really have a complex system. Um, yeah. so. it, it also helped that I was playing around with guitar. Some people would accuse me of playing guitar, but uh, I no, will it, never it's a little more playing around with guitar. Mark, believe me, I would never <laughs> accuse you of that. Um, you know, there, there's not enough evidence to convict you. Um, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so anyway, um, you know, you you became my my go-to guy for a lot of things. And of course you spent a lot of time with the band. You were at rehearsals, uh, not everyone, but you were at, especially when we got ready for live gigs, you were, you were there. You took a lot of our pictures, uh, for our album covers. Uh, at least, yeah. well, I, I think my favorite one is from, uh, from, was it the third out? No, the second album. No, it was the third album. It was the third album, yeah. The one that you guys used on the T-shirts for a long time, yes. and everybody kept walking up to Jay going, I yeah. thought you'd be taller. Well, um, with the... <laughs> okay, I got to... I got to... I got I to gotta, I gotta say this. Okay, now, first of all, it, yeah. there's two things that I got to talk about that. 
Um, number one, the pictures that you see on my on my the picture that you see on my Podbean photo, that was one of Mark's pictures. That was one of the pictures you took. Uh, and uh, so, and from that session, uh, we were outside our drummer's house, and we had, uh, I think it was Jay's pickup that was out there. And that picture of me is on is in the pickup bed so mark's got a, a, a he's down below us you know so we're, yeah. he's on an yeah angle, bob so. wanted bob wanted a, a group photo with nothing in the background so right. everybody got into the the bed of the pickup truck and jay stood on top of the wheel well yes and looked maybe about a half inch taller than everybody else standing on top of the wheel well but you have to understand, <laughs> and, that, that, and that's with Steve a little bit towards yeah. the back, and Bob a little bit towards the back, yeah. and and so I have to tell y'all, okay, now Bobby's a good, what he's like six two, I think, and Steve yes. Steve yeah, is six one, six two, somewhere around there. Okay, I'm five eight, and Jay is like five foot one, <laughs> you know, five foot two, something like that. Okay, but. When Mark took this picture at the angle and where we got Jay positioned, he looks like he's bigger than all of us. <laughs> um, every gig, every I thought gig you would be taller. Yes, that's correct. Everybody thought that that uh, everybody thought that Jay was like a a, a giant. <laughs> at least, at least six three. Yeah, and, and at least six three, yeah. and you know, he's what, a little less. So we kind of controlled the narrative on that, did we? <laughs> um, <laughs> so anyway, you know, uh, Mark has been, uh, Mark has been uh, like a fifth member of the band. He's he's done a lot of our, you know, our tech work. Lead electric triangle. He's a lead electric triangle. Um, that's right. We had to, we had to, fi- we had to fire him from that. Um, but uh, and then and then of course my roadie and now you have been kind of my uh, long distance uh, guitar repairman. Uh, yeah, I um, I've been on sabbatical for the last two years working for a retail music establishment, and about a year ago I transferred into the repair shop. Uh, mostly I detail and inspect instruments that are part of a rental fleet that, uh, before, you know, so after the repair techs are done fixing them up from whatever that poor student did to them, uh, <laughs> there, there's some stories there. I'm oh, sure there are. There. Which we don't <laughs> like have time the, to go like into the rubber right duck now. I found in somebody's clarinet barrel. Um, are you serious? <laughs> yes. Oh, that's not even the worst one. Are you kidding me? We, we fished an iPhone out of a sousaphone. It was an isousaphone. Uh, <laughs> well, I, apparent, apparently the student lost it, didn't know where it went to, thought somebody had stolen it. So, you know, it, yeah, and couldn't figure out why the sousaphone wasn't in tune either. <laughs> well. But anyway, so, and at the at the beginning of the year, I, I even took some classes in guitar repair. And right now, I, I just had this discussion yesterday with my boss's boss, they're talking about transferring me to a different shop where I can learn to repair orchestral strings. 
So I'll study under one of the repair techs and learn how to do repair work on violins, violas, cellos, and upright basses. Wow. And that is going to be awesome. Well, I think that should uh, set the stage um, for the the Q&A that's coming up. But before we do, we're going to get a we're going to get a uh, humorous anecdote, anecdote from Mark. Give us cuz I know you wanna give us one of your oh. best, one of your best musician jokes. Uh, give us two. Oh. Give us two of your mu- musician jokes. Oh, where to even begin? Oh, just just pick two at random. How do you get a professional musician off your porch? I don't know. Pay for the pizza. <laughs> That's a good one. All right. How does a guitarist screw in a light bulb? Okay. He just holds the bulb aloft <laughs> while the world revolves around him. That's right. Or, <laughs> or to, as an addendum to that, how many guitar players does it take to screw in a light bulb? It takes 10. Just one. That takes 10. It takes one to screw it in and nine others to say, I could have done it better. Oh, okay. Yeah, I was going to go with that. <laughs> Just so, a different different roundabout way. So, now this is not part of the Q&A oh, list, but um, that's going <laughs> to kind of kind of get us into the, uh, the Q&A. Now, what, the way we've got this set up is I, I listed a bunch of questions. Uh, actually, I have a list of 64 questions. Um, and uh, from various friends and listeners. And uh, so what I've done is I've, I've picked my top 30, uh, 34, not 39, 34. I've picked my top 34. And we probably won't get to all of them in, in this particular episode. But I'm going to go through and I'm going to answer these questions. And they're going to vary from the silly to the serious and they're going to vary from the technical to the more philosophical and uh we're just going to see how this goes and uh i hope that you can uh i hope that you got your question in i tried to i tried to give everybody at least an opportunity to get a question in i had i had i had a couple individuals that that gave me so many questions that uh I didn't, I, I didn't, it wasn't fair to everybody else. So with that, we're going to kind of start with the list and I'm going to have Mark read the question and read the name and then we're going to talk about it. So Mark, if All you'll right. go ahead and cue it off. All right. Question number one, Chris DeLauder asks, will you buy me a guitar? <sighs> when I first saw that question, my initial answer was, how about new? But I have since re- reconsidered that answer, and I was thinking of maybe buying him one of those Hello Kitty guitars. You see, oh, you, oh you, I know where you can get one really inexpensive. <laughs> I bet you do. <laughs> so, uh, so, no, Chris, I will not buy you a guitar. Next question. All right, next question from Ryan E. Johnson. Capos, poor man's crutch, shortcut saving grace, or come on, man, you're better than that. And I have to say before I answer this question, this is one of the reasons why I picked Mark to ask these questions because that is exactly the way Ryan would have asked me that question. 
Um, uh, Ryan, I, I thought that was a great question. Um, I, I'm kind of, uh, I've kind of got, uh, kind of conflicted with this. I, I don't think, I don't think you're cheating if you use capos. Although I have joked, I have told many a joke to the acoustic guitar player, uh, that I work with when they use a capo, I often, you know, I, I'll say it's cheating, but I don't really believe that it is. I believe that, uh, these, uh, it's just a tool like anything else. Uh, and there are a lot of guitar players out there that are not necessarily guitar players first. They're singer songwriters, you know, James Taylor, or, you know, uh, I picked James Taylor cause I'm old, but, um, and so they use. And you feel good. And I feel good. And the, uh, you know, they're they're not interested in trying to have any kind of fancy technique on the instrument. Not saying you can't have fancy technique with capos, but that um, their primary goal is to get the song, to be able to sing the song. They're using the guitar as accompaniment, and if that means that they have to, you know, adjust the key in order to play the the parts better, well, that's perfectly legitimate. However, I have seen a couple of instances where it's people are using them out of sheer laziness. Now, I ain't talking about somebody like Phil Kagey. You know, Phil Kagey... I I was getting ready to say, I mean, I I, I used to think that, that, you know, yeah, capos were a little bit of a crutch, but on the other hand, you know... You only know the one fingering, and your voice is pitched a little bit different than where that that key happens to sit. Uh, you know, capo is an easy way to fix that. And then well, you watch Phil Kegi, yeah. and you know he's got three capos to get that custom tuning right, just so so he can quickly adjust it during the act. And it's like, yeah, you know. And uh, by if the you're way, trying to do a, a ten song set, and you got to change keys real quick. And you don't have some roadie handing you a second guitar, a third guitar. We can't all be Joe Bonamassa and have a different guitar for each song. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. You know. Well, that's true. But not only that, um, Phil Kagi can play masterfully without a capo. So this is not a matter oh, of yeah. cheating. Yeah. You know, it, it, this is a, a matter of utility. It's a matter of he's he's got to do something that you can't quite. Uh, you can't quite reach maybe in standard tuning or with uh, conventional fingerings. So, uh, you know, no one's, no one is going to argue with his ability. And I think he's very creative with it, but there are also those people who just simply don't know their instrument. And I'll tell you this, and this is, I think that I think this is heresy. I've, I've, I, I can handle a capo on a guitar. I cannot understand why anybody would capo a bass. And I have seen that. Wait. I have seen... Capo a bass? Capo a bass. I have seen that. Oh. Yes. I saw that, and I was oh like, my. you have to be kidding me. That, that, I don't That's... get that. That's bizarre. That just tells me you don't know your instrument. Okay, that that is just absolutely now, bizarre. <laughs> uh, so, slight slight segue, but getting back to the main point of knowing your instrument, 
if you want to see someone who truly knows his way around a stringed instrument, uh, YouTube guitarist Rob Scallon posted a video recently on the history of guitar. And uh, just... Every single one of them, he just picks up and plays. No, the most recent one is where he goes over the history of the Quattro. It's a Spanish guitar, 10-string, and it's basically tuned like a 5-string bass doubled. So kind of like a 12-string guitar, but where, right. where you got that, that, the root note and the chorus. So it's the same deal, just 5-strings tuned just like a bass, a 5-string bass, an octave up. And so yeah, the 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 person that he's talking to about the history of the instrument is trying to explain it to him and he goes oh okay it's just like a five-string bass just doubled an octave up okay and he goes yeah and you can play a finger style but some people find that hard and dude just starts jamming oh yeah and, I mean... and you can see the look on the curator's face like oh okay that's that's and, the, and that's what but... i'm talking about is that that whole masterful ability to to play something uh, there's an old, I know this is going to seem slightly off topic, but it's not. There's an old story. I don't remember who, what bluesman, it was a bluesman who was, it might've been Buddy Guy. Uh, I was reading an article. This was years ago. I read this in Guitar World magazine, um, where Buddy Guy was saying that when he was a kid, he, he had this guitar that apparently was real difficult to play or something like that. And he was like, oh, there's something wrong with this guitar and this this older bluesman that as he was coming up walked up to it and started just jamming on this guitar and he was like there ain't nothing wrong with your guitar and you know you know the old saying uh, a poor wor workman always blames his tools and you know there there's something to be said for being able to go on an instrument that you're not I... that's not comfortable for you necessarily and still be able to play. You know, things, things can't be perfect all the time in a situation. I realize it seems yeah, like... I'll, I'll, go, I'll go part of the way with you on that. The only, the only place I'll push back is starting on guitar, and I think we got a question about that coming we a little do, bit further on We do, we do, and down. that is true, but I, I'm, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not talking about someone who's a very, very beginner. I'm talking, about someone, I'm talking about someone who has basically got everything set up exactly the way... I mean... You know, the, the guitar practically plays itself. There's nothing wrong with that. I, I'm not criticizing that, but I'm saying that if if you can't if you can't get on an instrument and play it without having all your creature comforts, can you really play? You know, and yeah. I mean, I get it. I mean, I understand. We're all we're all slaves to our idiosyncrasies. Uh, on the instrument and I like things set up a certain way and but I've also known that there have been times where I've had to dive out of the familiar and I don't like that I don't like that feeling of discomfort because simply because I've not practiced enough to do something to, to work in the, I've not, I've not set myself up to be successful in the unfamiliar territory. Does that make sense? So yeah, that makes sense. Getting, getting back to the whole capo thing. Um, uh, there are people who I would say, Hey man, you're better than that. 
And there are those out there who use a capo because they're not better than that. And then there are those who use the capo as it's meant to be used. as It's a tool, and it's a tool for creativity. So in a roundabout way to Ryan, um, I just suppose it's what you need. It, what it, what it, what suits your needs for the situation that you're in. If you're a singer songwriter, I'll cut you some slack on that because that's your, that the guitar is not your primary gig; it's your support. Uh, but if you're in a heavy metal band, uh, yeah. Now, I one last thing on that. Speaking of a hard rock or heavy metal band, uh, I do know that on Van Halen's little guitars. The, the little guitar intro, the acoustic intro, that's a little guitar tuned up with a capo. Yeah. Okay. But I defy anybody to say that Eddie can't play. <laughs> okay. Just saying. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Just saying. Okay. Well, and, so. and, and, you know, even in, even in church music, you see where you're changing keys and you've got, song to song to song it's not like I, I don't know too many church guitarists that have three guitars sitting in the back right. to oh, switch keys that's true and you I'll know? also say this when I used to play my 12 string and I was playing with the praise and worship leader you know I would capo if she capoed I would capo and the large reason why is because when I got the music the music was written the, the music was notated in a certain key so it would say, like, for example, it would be E, A, and B, but capoed at the second fret. So the actual pitch was F sharp, or F sharp major, but I didn't have to transpose on the fly. And not only that, but my 12-string sounds, excuse me, sounds better. Oh, yeah. Uh, and supporting of the vocals in that situation. So I made a judgment call. It's not that I couldn't play an F sharp major because I can. I practiced to do that, but that wasn't that wasn't important, you know. Yeah. It, it, that was I did that to support the person that I was working with. So I know it seems like I'm contradicting myself, but I can play an F sharp major, but I chose to do well, that no, because it comes back to your ultimate answer. Right. It is, it is situational. Right, it's you very know, situational. Uh, so, are are you using a capo because you don't know any better, or because for the situation it it is appropriate? Right. Okay. Um, I think we've se severely butchered that question. So, uh, what's uh, next up? <laughs> what we got the next question? All right. Um, I apologize in advance if I butchered the last name. Mike Bost asks, "What is the benefit for kids starting so young?" Now, I I think you this would be right down kind of your alley too, um, in a way because uh, I know that um, you've had opportunity to see this firsthand. But yeah. I I think one of the one of the benefits for kids starting off so young is because, well, physiologically, they're still developing their neural networks and. Uh, there's something about the, and and it's like their it's like their physical uh, it's like their their physiology is malleable. In other words, that if you can shape it early, uh, 
th these more technical yeah. the the earlier you learn it the easier yes. it is to get good habits in right and see, and um part in the interest of full disclosure i do work for a retail music establishment that does provide lessons so that disclaimer out of the way i highly encourage go go find a teacher for your younger child right to at, learn from at least to get because at, a youtube video is not going to go no 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 your finger's not straight enough Right. A YouTube video is not going to go, your thumb's a little too low. You need to bring it up here. Right. Uh, otherwise, and, you'll get carpal tunnel syndrome by the time you're 25. Right. So um, my, 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 uh, you, a lot of, you look at other instruments, violin, piano, uh, even the wind instruments. Generally speaking, they, the, the younger the kids start, the, the easier it is when they get older to, to to maintain their skills and there's not as much um what's the word I'm looking for there, there's not as much having to go back and fix it's like okay I'll look at it like this when do we learn our alphabet we learn our alphabet in you know kindergarten first grade and some of us before that if you if your parents encourage you to you know, I know we did that with our kids. You know, we would have like letters and stuff like that, so they could at least identify them. But they and they learned, you know, they learned how to talk before they went to school. But when they went to school is where they learned the alphabet and they learned phonics and things like that. And uh, do we ever? Do we ever? Uh, you know, when was the last time you actually went through and had to memorize the alphabet? nobody yeah, does that exactly you know nobody does that why because that's been established way back when you were young and you're you're just forming and that's that's the same with musical instruments so uh and guitar being and, a very digital oriented you know instrument and it's also and visual even that is yeah, even that aside, uh, just learning music at a young age is immensely beneficial for for a person because music, uh, being comfortable with music is a good stress reliever. It's a good way to unwind. It's a, a good way to work different parts of the brain. Uh, musicians are shown to have higher math scores and higher scores in certain other areas in school. So, because I, I know that there are some parents out there that they don't care how good their kid gets. They want to know, you know, uh, what uh, about other reasons why their kid should take music lessons. And there's there's just such a wide variety of lessons from the sheer musicianship of it, the love of the instrument, the love of music, to to other benefits to for brain development and. Uh, the ability to have something to relax with and unwind with and just a wide, wide range. We could probably do a two-hour podcast on the yes. benefit of music all by itself. Yes, we could. <clears throat> something, excuse me, <clears throat> something peripheral to that, but I think I, I want to add this. I, I had to, I had to, I was giving a lesson to a young lady, uh, but she was, I don't want to say she was nine ten something like that and their parents uh, one one believe it or not they were very well to do 
One was uh, the uh, the mother was a lawyer, I think, and the doc and, and the father was a doctor, and um, they were I, I'll just say they were from a from another uh, country and another culture. Uh, so they wanted to get her lessons, and I was like, that's fine. I, I'm happy to do that. And I you know I tried to keep things simple, but just getting the mechanics under your fingers is the it's the first hurdle to learning the instrument but they wanted they wanted to they were expecting her to be able to play a song okay and i was trying to explain to the parents that you know i can show her like a little melody or something like that and everybody's happy but she hasn't learned the instrument She's, you know, she's never yeah. going to be able to do anything more than that. So I was trying to give her a foundation, and, and it wasn't music theory or anything. It was just basic hand mechanics. Well, the parents weren't satisfied with that answer, so I said okay. And so what I decided to do was there was I don't I don't know it was some song from uh, Finding Nemo or something like that that she or. I don't remember what it was a Disney film or something like that. And she wanted to do that melody. So I went, I, I came home and I picked that melody out and I tried to find it to put it in the easiest way to finger, uh, in the easiest, the easy, the more most practical key to play it in. And I proceeded to teach her that melody. And when I taught her that melody, the parents were happy, but she wasn't happy because she was actually kind of bored, and so she no longer wanted to have lessons. And the 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 parents were like, "Okay, she doesn't want to have a, I don't, you know." I was happy to take their money, but all that I was trying to do is I was trying to get her to a point where she could actually teach herself. And uh, I I say I tell that story to point out that I think the parents they you know and I understand. I, this is understandable. You, you you're paying good money. I mean, I wasn't that expensive, um, but you're paying good money. You expect to see results. You know that's you. And judging by the parents' professions, that's that's yeah. you know and not their, a money issue. And and their culture was okay. I'm paying you to teach her this. I expect to see her doing something. So. It, and that's not always conducive to long-term learning of the instrument. You know, it, it's kind of yeah. like this. Just, just you, you, you know, just because you paid a lot to go to medical school uh, doesn't mean you're qualified to cut into a patient. You know, I mean, there's there's processes. And and I'll I'll even speak for my own experience because. I made the mistake of not getting an instructor first. I learned bits and pieces. I learned how to read a songbook and just play uh, riffs and licks and various memorable bits and even a couple of songs all the way through. But I reached a point where what I wanted to play and what I was capable of playing had a gap that was just a little too large to bridge right. without the foundational knowledge. Right. And it's it's why when I worked on the retail side of the company, 
I've really tried to encourage as many as many parents and kids to go into lessons instead of, well, I mean, I can just learn all this on YouTube, right? Yeah, uh, we're going to talk about that because I from, know there's, you know, there's a question coming up regarding that. Um, yeah. But uh, to put a fine point on on this question, uh, yes, I think it's it's highly beneficial uh, that children learn any instrument, but since we're talking about guitar in particular, the guitar, as early as their interest, as, as early as, as the interest will allow. I mean, if you see your young and gazing at a guitar, oh. and they want to... Since... Since... Since it dovetails so nicely into where we're at right now. Uh-huh. Can I insert my one pet peeve? Sure, absolutely. I know you seem to be asking yeah, let's, people. let's make this fun. Go ahead. Okay. My one peeve is when people go, well, my kid wants to try an instrument, but I'm not sure that they're as serious as they think they are. So I'm just going to buy this $80 thing off of Amazon. And there are ways to be inexpensive with that instrument and there are ways to be cheap with that right. instrument that's, that's a very and those are not the same thing and my biggest pet peeve is people who confuse the two they go why do i want to spend six hundred dollars on a clarinet that i'm not sure they're going to be playing next year well you want to do that so that way the instrument stays in tune the whole way through and that when it needs repairs not if it needs repairs when it needs repairs and the technician needs to, say, replace a pad. The cup doesn't melt just at the thought of a torch. It actually just, you know, melts the glue. Uh, or the, the keys aren't so soft that they bend and warp and fail to seal. And, and likewise with the guitars, people would come in and they'd go, um, I just bought this guitar for 80 bucks. Did I, I got a deal, didn't I? You know, standard answer, company answer is we're not equipped to appraise or evaluate instruments, so uh, you'll have to take it to somebody who does that sort of thing. And the quiet part that we don't say out loud is you just spent 80 bucks on an instrument-shaped object, and they should have paid you 20 bucks to take that thing. Um, yeah. Because that, 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 the first, the top is about maybe a half step above balsa wood, and those tuning machines are never going to stay in tune. And that bridge, it looks like the second you start to try your hand at shredding, you're going to pop the bridge off, and you're going to be sad about that. And now you're out 80 bucks, and the kid doesn't like it, not because they don't like it, but because they had a bad experience with right. a bad instrument. Right. You know, and, kids and so, that quit violin because they bought, you know, the, the cheapest thing they could find and the tuning pegs won't stay because the wood is so soft, it's deforming and the string tension is causing it to come out of tune every time they draw a bow across it. And so the kid's frustrated and quits, not because they don't have an interest in music, but because the instrument made it such an unfun experience. There's and the a... nice thing about instruments, even even the, the lower-end beginner instruments, but the ones that are still on that quality range, like a lot of your... You can find some good quality guitars in the $150 to $200 range that are great for a beginner. They will eventually outgrow it musically, but when you're first getting started, the construction is good. It will stay in tune. It will produce a beautiful sound. You're not going to shred your fingers on the edge of poorly cut frets. 
you know, all all that stuff. And if six months later they decide, you know what, maybe I don't like it, it's going to hold most of its value. You're going to be able to get most of that back That's, when you go to that resell was one it of the to somebody things, else. That was one of the things that I, I and, that I try to I preach to people because. And, you know, in general, and, and that I goes across the board, not just guitars. No, but it's I mean, true, you, you get a good. But what know. I'm saying is that that, but, and and I I agree with you with that. And, and the the thing that I try to tell people is like, look, what you need to understand is that UK, you spend eighty dollars, all right, and you get something that's subpar, and versus spending say a hundred and fifty dollars, and you get something that you could probably resell for what you paid or or pretty close or to pretty close to or they'll have it for by the time they move to a, a better and i say better a, a more a, 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 a more uh mature instrument for lack of a better term yeah um that they're not felt like they're being held back you know that they can you can actually go far with I, I i know a lot of companies uh squire does this i think uh you know epiphone does this where they have starter packs you know where you have a guitar and you know yeah and it's and i think those um, are great deals i mean i now i i realize most of them most are. of them most are. of them are and uh you should have some vendor yeah fender who does the squire line is a little bit better about making sure that they're they're more inexpensive guitars and starter packs are still of good quality. Uh, I've actually been disappointed by a couple of Epiphones, but I've found that those tend to be at the $100 price point or lower. Well, and one of like, the things like that... many things in life, this is a case of you will, right. you will get what you're paying, paying for. for. Right. And that's exactly right. And so before we move to the next question, I want to, I want to, I want to also say that, don't don't buy you should take someone who has some knowledge and i when i say knowledge i mean a player someone who actually plays the instrument even if they're not the guitar teacher or something like that you need to take someone who's going to know what they're looking for it it, it because yeah. the problem is or i can find i can find you, people oh, if i yeah. i guarantee you if you who don't have or somebody who doesn't have any knowledge takes their 80 bucks, they're not going to get the same guitar that I'm going to get for 80 bucks. So because I'll be like, yeah, OK, and if you're that's that's and that's taking lessons with a teacher. Go ask your teacher. Exactly. A lot of them have recommendations. They have they have their go to for beginners. Yes. Uh, and it's usually different depending on what your end goal is musically. Right. And remember, you know, that's if, the if end go, goal. I, I want. I want to play some good rock and roll like ACDC, then they'll they'll point you at the right kind of guitar to start right. off with. And not only that, but you, you won't be looking based on the mere appearance of the instrument. I, I can tell yeah. you this from my personal experience. I bought a guitar one time simply because it looked, it had the striped look like Eddie Van Halen's guitar. But I can tell you, it did not play. It was it was not a guitar that I, it looked cool, but it it wasn't worth yeah. playing. Um, so it, 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 my point there, is... There is, a, there is an artist signature starter pack that the company sells that is disappointing given both the company and the artist whose name is on it. Um, so, it is super frustrating right. so, and super sad. 
All right. So uh, I think uh, I think we've now butchered that question. So okay. in short, yeah. in short, yes, <laughs> it's a good thing to start young. Um, I recommend it. Mark recommends it. Uh, <laughs> what more do you need? Um, all right. Next question. All right. So Karen Quinn from Australia has a two-part question. The first part, what was the event reason you chose to play the guitar? Okay. And do you want to do the second part now? Yeah, go ahead, go ahead and fire, you've, fire uh, the second thoroughly part. Thoroughly answered the... Yeah, okay. go ahead and, and fire the second, second question is, and, and probably the shorter answer, what age did you begin to play guitar? All right, well, I'll answer the second, second part first. I was 15 when I started playing guitar, and that actually helps with the event, because the event, and I talked about this with my brother in my previ- in a previous episode, uh, it was, I'd always had an, I always was fascinated by the instrument, but I never, I was never really driven to play it, but it, of all the instruments, I, my ear seemed kind of a, you know, attuned to it. I used to watch Hee Haw when I was younger and I would, you know, I'd be over friends, somebody's house who had a guitar and it was just fascinating, but I just, I wasn't driven to, to play it. It was just a curiosity. And, uh, but what drove me, the event was when I heard Van Halen, somebody get me a doctor. That was the moment that was the moment I said, I've got to do this. It, 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 it was... You, know, you, you it, mentioned Hee Haw, and I thought you were going to say Derek and the Dominoes. No, no, no. <laughs> um, I actually, I, I had heard Layla, and, and I, but I didn't know anything about... I didn't know anything about... I was just starting to... I was just starting to kind of cut my teeth on stuff like boston and journey foreigner queen but it was when i heard van halen somebody get me a doctor i was 15 i was really does dovetail into the next question too because that is the answer to the start of it okay john hilton the blind fury the former drummer of wisdom call and author of the new book stop your whining would like to know when did you realize you wanted to play guitar and who do you pattern your playing after the most? Well, and it, since you answered the first part of that, I think I know the second one. Well, okay, why don't you, why go, don't ahead. you go ahead, give it, give it a guess before I answer. So, uh, I, well, I know that the answer might be a little bit different, but uh, given that Van Halen is your, I want to play this, I would have expected that you're trying to pattern your playing after Van Halen. Uh, but, I'm going to uh, use an answer. I know Zach Wilde's in there somewhere. Uh, I'm going to use an answer that you you've always used in conversation. The answer is <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. Um, yes, I did want to be like millions of other teenage boys from the time that the first Van Halen album came out until forever. Um, I wanted to be Edward Van Halen, all right? But oddly enough, he was so far above what I felt I was capable of even attaining. It was, I was like, you know, and and everybody, everybody 
was trying to be Edward. Everybody was trying to be. I mean, the whole L.A. scene of guitar players that, that came out from the time Van Halen 1 came out until, you know, all the, the you know, the rats and the quiet riots and the, uh, you know, all those. By the way, rest in peace, Frankie Benali. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, for those of you who don't know, that was the drummer for Quiet Riot. He passed away from pancreatic cancer. Um, anyway. Yeah, there's been a few of those, yeah, too, because Charlie has. Daniels passed away recently, yeah, too. Yeah, Charlie Daniels, but of course, we know that uh, Neil Peart passed away in January. Um, yep. But, so anyway, um, and also, uh, R.I.P. to Pete Way, uh, bassist, Ooh, bass, bassist for UFO, yes, he passed away just recently, too. Um, but anyway, uh, and I just, I, I actually, believe it or not, I liked Edward's rhythm playing more than his solos. I loved his solos. Don't misunderstand me. I mean, they were yeah. they were the standard. But what I loved about Edward was his rhythm playing. And I'll, I'll even tell you this story. Um, I remember because I I gotten Van Halen two first. That was the first one I got, and I didn't have Van Halen one until sometime later. So when I heard Van Halen one. I was like, oh, man, this is really, it, it was a different sound. Of course, I heard things out of order, so I didn't, I, it didn't, it seemed, it seemed different, and it was different, but, um, but the interesting thing about it was that when Eruption came on, I heard Eruption for the first time, I was like, oh, man, this is going to be a kicking song, and it was just a guitar solo. Now, of course, it's brilliant, and everybody loves it, and justifiably so, but I remember at the time, being a little disappointed that it was just a solo and not a song because the way yeah. Edward made songs, the, the way that band, just that swagger and that groove, I was like, this is the perfect band. So uh, I patterned my rhythm playing after Edward. Now, yes, like everybody else, I've stolen techniques from Edward, uh, you know, it's called homage. Uh, it's not yes, stealing. It's well, called homage. Yeah, you know, uh, good artists borrow, great artists steal. Okay, <laughs> um, but <laughs> what what you know, I'm certain. Certainly, there's so much in my own personal technique that I owe to Edward, even though I none of it sounds like him. But I do. I have done things that are direct ripoffs. And I I won't lie because everybody else did too. But I didn't want to sound like Edward because everybody tried to. And I'm thinking, I, even then I was like, why would, why would you want to sound like this guy? You know, because Edward clearly was his own voice. So, and I, I, yeah. I, I remember reading an article in a guitar magazine, and I don't remember the, the guitar or the band, but this guitar, he, this guitar player was with a pop band. Uh, one of the pop bands in the 80s. And he said, you know, in so many words, he said, Edward Van Halen's influenced me because I don't listen. In other words, anything that everybody everybody was copying Edward, this guy wasn't. This guy was like, I don't, I don't want to do any of that. You know, so if anything, his biggest influence on me was what not to do. And, you know, I thought that was kind of, when when I read that, I was 
you know, I was a teenager and I read that and I'm thinking, wow, that's kind of arrogant and condescending. But over the years, I've begun to see what the guy was trying to say that like, look, you know, I don't want to copy this guy because he's happens to be the 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 flavor of the month or whatever. Of course, he was the flavor for the yeah, for two well, decades, three decades. Decade. But yeah, but uh, <laughs> I mean, it's very clear that Edward was a game changer. He he didn't just write a chapter in the book; he rewrote the book. But um, he had his own. Yeah, voice. Randy Rhodes was about the same time. Randy Rhodes, of course. You know, well, Randy Rhodes came yeah. out. He, he he came out to the world stage with Ozzy in 1980, but you know he had been he had been on in a, on the L.A. Strip when Edward was you know was him and Edward and George Lynch, you know they were the they were the L.A. trio. They, everybody you know they were, you know Edward was number one, Randy was number two, and George was a close third, and uh, but even even George Lynch will say. You know, man, we all copied Eddie. You know, we all copied, and and you can hear it. it you can hear it, and there's, there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, at some point, we already have an Edward. I, you know, if 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 I cop, if I spent all my time trying to cop Edward's licks, they're just going to be poor imitations of Edward's licks. Everyone's going to say, "Well, that's a pretty good rendition of Eddie Van Halen." Well, I, I don't want uh, and it that. Is something that. It is something that you see a lot, in a, even in a lot of different genres, too, because I remember when uh, when Dave Matthews came out and got really big, there was about five or six uh, Dave Matthews wannabe-type bands that were trying to do the same thing, and it, right. was, it was a poor imitation. Right, and, and, it, it, and so... I mean, if they had done their own thing, it could have been better. So, because they they clearly had the skill to be better, right? It, it just, but it wasn't instead, creativity. Of, instead of being themselves and right to it, your own selves be true, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. So, um, but to 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 answer the other part of that question is who do I pattern myself at? Believe it or not, I mean, yeah, Edward's always going to be in there. He's my number one guy. He's always going to be in there. But I actually don't really pattern myself after his playing. He he is a very um, just to kind of kind of riff on that for just a second more. Uh, Edward is a very fly by the seat of your pants kind of player. I mean, he knows what he's doing. That's 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 very clear. But he's more of a pick a pattern and run it with conviction kind of player. And there's nothing wrong with that. He's he's <laughs> he's had a successful career doing that. You know, he makes great music. Yeah, but in some situations that just doesn't work and it requires a little it a different different finesse i mean I, I like i said i've loved edward but i've heard him in situations where it was like yeah edward that's the same lick you did you know yeah, what, what? and 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 that that i i mean it's signature you know it's always going to be his signature but the question then becomes, is it just a lick or is it music? And so someone that I pattern myself off of, even though I know you don't like the band, but uh, is Neil Sean from Journey. Now, I mean, he, he's got some great solo work and stuff like right. that. And I understand, I understand, but, but he's a, he is a player that just, 
whether he plays fast or he plays slow, it's always note. The note choice is always great. He, uh, it's very melodic, speed or no speed. And I should clarify for the record, I love the man. I love the musicality. I just don't like the music. And that's fine. You know, that's fine. We, uh, you know, <laughs> like if I if if you put him in. If you put it in a different context, I think you could really enjoy uh, yeah. his his music. And I'm telling you what his solo his solo work is just to die for. Oh yeah, just there's a lot of musicians that I I deeply appreciate their musicality, even if I don't appreciate the music right, that right. they're making. And I'll just say you for know, the record, because they they just have a skill with the instrument. Right, that... and I'll say for the record that both these guys, Edward who started on piano when he was six and then went to guitar at 12. And Neil Sean, who started playing guitar at six. And his his, his dad was a big band uh, composer. And his mom, I think, was a, some kind of singer. And uh, so both of these guys started at extremely young ages so if that tells you anything the answer to the the previous question we had yeah but anyway so yeah getting I, back to the starting young. right i would say that i would say that i pattern a lot i do a lot of things and and the other thing about neil is that he doesn't just play in a you know drums bass guitar he he can play in a with a keyboard he can play blues he can play jazz he can play um I haven't heard him do any country, but uh, so I would argue that that's probably an area that that he doesn't dive into. I, but I'm sure you can find him doing a duet with Johnny Cash. You know, but he's. There. Uh, I I saw. I did see. A, I remember one time I saw him do a an acoustic thing with Roger Daltrey. Uh, yeah. And he also did a, a. He he was in. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, from Bad Company, Paul Rogers. He was in Paul Rogers' band for a long time. So, uh, you know, not and I, of course he played with Santana and, and things of that nature. So, I yeah. mean, he's he's very versatile. So there's Neil, and then uh, I've mentioned uh, uh, George Lynch is another one that I've patterned uh, my playing after. And, uh, although I can't really touch him, in a lot of ways, but I I have imitated. He's another one of those that kind of picks a shape and runs with it kind of thing. Um, Jakey Lee, uh, who was oh yeah Ozzy Osbourne's guitar player uh, for for Bark at the Moon and the Ultimate Sin, and he was also in Badlands. And I have to tell you, if Jake is in my top five players. Just for his rhythm playing, his rhythm playing has been hugely influential on my playing. So, those are the guys that I that kind of set the patterns for me. And there are others, but we don't have that kind of time. I mean, but there are others that, that are more than honorable mentions. But these those those guys happen to be the ones that have I started the pattern. I mean. I yeah, I, I I would like to hope that if you're if you hope to if if you're trying to have mastery of the instrument that you would have more than one influence and that you expand those influences because coming back to the lessons a little bit you know it's 
good to start with, uh, you know, like, I want to play blues like Eric Clapton. And then go, well, who who was Clapton's influences? And then start looking there. And then who who was influenced by Clapton? And then start looking there. Because um, it, it sounds like that's what, that that's part of what you've done with your journey. No, no pun intended. <laughs> no pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know. Now, I will say it, this. It certainly, it certainly. I, I mentioned Hee Haw earlier, and I have to tell you that I would be remiss, because I've mentioned pretty much rock, heavy metal, guitar players, but I have to tell you, and I don't play anything like it, but someone who I have been, there's two players in particular from the country realm that I have been in absolute awe of, and deservedly so, is Roy Clark, the late Roy Clark, and the late Jerry Reed. Those guys yeah. were so brilliant so talented so i mean and their stuff is not easy to play i you know and and that's one of the reasons why i like jakey lee because even jakey lee practices trying to do country licks and things like that because uh he actually played i mean several different bands so the 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 old the old joke is all you need is like E, C, and D, and you can go play country. Yeah, but that's the old joke. But as much no. as, as much as we love to 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 pick on them about that, a lot of that material is not easy. It's not only not it's not easy to execute. It's not easy to play. It's not easy to learn. And those guys also started young. Just just for the record, yeah. they started young. All right. So <laughs> um, so uh, let's move to the next question. So Jim. Zemanski, Jim Zemanski. Uh, thank you, my buddy Jim Zemanski. <laughs> okay. I was looking at that. I was going, uh, you know, I kind of wish you'd give me a pronunciation guide <laughs> with a couple of these. I thought about uh, that, but <laughs> Jim asks, "What do you think about tuning in fourths?" That is a very good question. I'm going to give. So that you... does seem to be a question that comes up a fair amount. I know Fluff did a video along the same line, or. Or maybe it was one of the other YouTubers I keep tabs on. I know somebody very recently did another video because this question seems to have come up a lot again. Well, and uh, it seems to be a perennial recurring question. And I think I know why. I'm not sure, but I think I know why. There's there's two players. One that's not mentioned so much anymore. He was popular, but is is, and there's and there's another one uh, who's now he's on the YouTube. It's great to watch him on YouTube. His name's Tom Quayle. The first guy is Stanley Jordan. Stanley Jordan would do like two hand tapping, but he would be tapping chords. He'd be ta- he'd be playing chords with his left hand, and he would be tapping melodies with his right hand. So it was like a piano kind of thing, and he would tune his guitar in fourths, and then uh, Tom Quayle does play his he's got his guitar set up in fourths and the advantage to setting up your guitar in fourths is that all your patterns all your scale patterns are symmetrical all the way up the neck in other words um those of you who know like say your basic major scale pattern it's it's like let's say we're playing g major scale and you start on the low e string and you go third fret fifth fret 7th fret, that's G-A-B, and then you go to the A string, and you play 3rd fret, 5th fret, 7th fret, that's uh, uh, C-D-E, and then you go to the next string, and you play uh, you play 
third fret, and then fifth fret. That's I'm sorry, yeah. Uh, I gotta get this right here. G A B. That's right. Um, then you play. Uh, I, yeah, I I get my. And then you play. We're just going to key of G. Um, then you play uh, fourth fret, then fifth fret. I'm sorry, fourth fret, fifth fret, seventh fret, and then you move to the next string. It's fourth fret, fifth fret, seventh fret. But by the time you get to the next string, you have a pattern, but there's there's this this odd tuning between the G and the B string. Uh, all the strings, the E and the A, the A and the D, and the D and the G are all fourths. But the G and the B, which is the third string and the second string, they're tuned in major thirds. And then the B string and the high E string are again tuned in fourths. Okay, so that kind of throws your patterns off. It it And, of course, we guitar players have adjusted to that with our scale pattern, with our major scale patterns and our our minor scale patterns and our pentatonic scale patterns and whatever other scale that you happen to have. But there's always that little warp refraction. Well, when you tune it in force, you don't have that same problem. Unfortunately, in tuning in force... You just have a different problem. Yeah, you have a different problem. Right, it's a trade-off. <laughs> okay, now someone like Tom Quayle, who is a primarily improvisational guy, and he does play chords... But he does. Most jazz players, most fusion players, they don't play your standard six-string bar chords anyway. All right, so they. So you could have just left it to jazz players don't play standard. You know, well, period. they they rarely do. You know, they 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 play you know three and four-string voicings. You know, or they play, you know, they they play substitutions where they have extensions and things like that. And that goes beyond the scope of this question, but. The thing is that what do I think about tuning in force? I think it's great if you're just soloing. But if you've got to and and you've got to readjust your learning curve to that cuz once you do that and then you try to go back to standard unless you've already played in standard, it's going to be quite an adjustment. And to be quite honest with you, I I'm too lazy to <laughs> I don't want I, you know I've spent enough time trying to learn the instrument as it is and I actually kind of like I like the the facility that I have it, it it there's a linkage between my my muscle memory and my my visual memory you know in other words yeah you know I can actually picture where that note is on the fretboard and I don't have to transpose on the fly, so to speak, if that makes I, any I sense. I suspect it would also help if uh, if you're coming from an instrument that's already tuned in fourths to then change your guitar tuning to be in fourths. Right. See, the, 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 the inherent problem with the guitar is, is piano, I, I've, I've said this before. The like, inherent? Yeah, well, one of the many. There's, a, there's, uh, a there's, there. there's, there's quite a bit, but that's why we love it. Um, is that the like the piano? The middle C is always going to be middle C. It's always going to be in the same spot, and your 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 fingerings for, like say a major triad, from let's just take from the middle C is going to be the same fingering, basically, everywhere, everywhere that that root major third fifth is going to be everywhere on the on the keyboard that is going to be the same fingering. 
Okay, so and then when you do your your inversions, when say instead of playing a, play it like first inversion, which is E, G, and C, that fingering is always going to be the same everywhere that you find that c combination. Well, that's not the way it is on guitar. On guitar, you have at least two places to play middle C on two different strings. So that that you know you have a, like the E note, you have four octaves to play. And I can play, for example, if I play the twelfth fret on the low E string, if I play the twelfth fret, and I play that that E note, and then I go to the A string seventh fret, it's the same pitch. And then if I go down to the D string second fret, it's the same pitch. So I've got three options for the same note. Uh, you know this this creates an issue on how we have to view the instrument in order to produce the what we're looking for, specific voicing or specific chord or specific melody note. And, you know, that's just something that we happen, that just happens to be our idi one of our idiosyncrasies that versus, say, a different since instrument. We're, uh, since we're talking about idiosyncrasies and some of the... Uh, unique joys that come with guitar we can probably easily segue into this question from darren martin shredhead hey shredhead it's been too long um, <laughs> my good buddy. shredhead it is a non-junior from the forums <laughs> hello again <laughs> <laughs> he'll be hey mate so uh he asks what do you find the most difficult aspect of playing well i think that would be answered easier if i said if I if I listed what were the easier parts, because there <laughs> there's so many we could do a podcast just on the on the, uh, there are players out there that just seem to like have no boundaries limitations, and I am not one of those players. Uh, I have there's tons and tons and tons of things that I don't do well, or at least I don't think I do well, and so I'm constantly trying to. I'm I'm constantly trying to work. There's always something that I have to work on, and unfortunately, if I work on one thing, focus on one thing, I'm neglecting something else. So it's it's a constant battle. So I, if if I had to pin it down, I would say it's actually the 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 hardest, the most difficult thing to play well is being able to not is to be able to uh, focus on several different areas. Uh, in other words, what I mean is that if I'm only practicing scales, I, I you, you find yourself in a rut. Well, that means that I'm not, I might spend, I might spend all my time trying to get good at playing a scale and that's great. But then I'm not say practicing my arpeggios or I'm not, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not jamming, on a song or something like that, or I'm not practicing a rhythm part that I'm having difficulty with. So the, the biggest, the biggest problem is finding what you need. That's going to improve overall. You know, you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, you need yeah, to be yeah. able to, you need uh, to, one of the, one of the podcasters I listened to was trying to, he, he, he wanted to get good at sweep picking. So he literally stopped practicing anything else that was not sweep picking for a month. And he got really, really good at it. And then he found that he had trouble integrating it into the other stuff that he was used to playing well. 
because they had been neglected. Right. And and so and finding that finding that balance that gets you to where you want to go musically. Right. And and see and that right there is the key because uh you have to decide what your priorities are. And so I guess this goes hand in hand with it. One of the difficult things is being able to prioritize what is musically valid versus what is uh, eye candy, what is, you know, makes you... A fun technique. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, what, 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 is, what is it that, that I'm, what is it that I'm, you know, what, what do I need to be practicing things that I'm going to be able to practically apply in the situations that I find myself in. And so with that, the, uh, I guess one of the things that does help, believe it or not, is being either, well, with the band or with, um, the praise team or whatever at church or whatever, Often what I do is I have like a general maintenance kind of practice regimen that's not focused. And then I have a, a specific, like if I know that if there's a certain song that I know we're getting ready to play, say at church, and I'm having difficulty, say say we're going to play in, I don't know, let's, let's just pick a key. Let's say I play in, in a more keyboard-oriented key which would be like a flat or something like that then i'm like okay well i better go over my e flat major scale all over the neck now maybe i i usually practice like my my keys go i go through the cycle of fifths what i change it i change keys every month so in the key in the in january i start in the key of c february i go to the key of g and i play that exclusively for that month and i so on and so forth and i there's 12 keys there's 12 months so i cycle through but i might be having to focus on a song in a key that i'm not practicing in right now so what i have to do is i have to shift and I have to say, okay, I have to practice. I got to get ready for this show, or I got to get ready for this performance. I, I need to be able to play this song with some reasonable competency. So I will stop my regular maintenance program, and I'll focus on that thing. I haven't forgotten what I'm doing, but that other stuff is more mechanical and not necessarily uh, practical for what I'm getting ready to do. If that makes any yeah. sense, you know, for the band, you know, if we got a new song or something, something that I'm not completely up to speed, then what I have to do is I have to stop my regular maintenance and I have to focus on and start working on, start the new working stuff. on the new stuff so that I can get it under my fingers. And then once I've got it under my fingers, I usually don't forget it. It's just a matter of tightening the bolts here or there. And then I can go back to my regular maintenance procedures things of that nature so i you know i i i think that's a good balance i could probably do things better there's something that jakey lee used to say he said i used to practice things that i couldn't do i wouldn't just play things that i already could do i would purposely try to practice things that i couldn't do so i try to do that i try to find a lick or an article or something and I try to purposely set aside some time just to try, even if I'm playing it ridiculously slow, 
but if I can play it slow and clear and get it under my fingers, the speed will come. It might take yeah. a while, but it will come. And so, and that, in that, in a way, that kind of that forces me to create no, more new, new neural networks and new connections and stuff like that. And it actually helps my other playing because I'm forcing myself to do something that I don't wouldn't ordinarily do. So, uh, I guess if there's anything that, that, that any challenge to my playing that uh in in to playing well if there's any challenge to that if there's any hurdle to that it's being able to find what you need to do versus what you want to do if that makes any sense um that makes sense um okay what's the next question i'm actually gonna let's uh since the the answers are probably gonna flow into each other a little bit all right Let's blend the next couple of questions in where Nate starts asking about what do you think about nine-string guitars and eight-string basses? Mike Boast also likes to know about brand name or not and the dashingly handsome and resonant baritone Anon Jr. (laughs) has some questions about preferred setup. I High have, action, low action, string gauge, and I, I that happen sort to know. And we kind of touched a little bit on uh, <laughs> recommendations for someone starting out. Um, okay, let's let's take this one at a time. Um, to my buddy Nate, um, what do I, think? I know a lot of these are going to flow into each other, yeah. especially when we're talking about recommendations. Yes, because brand name or not, you know, there there are some brands that I you know I I can certainly see recommending for someone starting out, and especially because they tend to come with a really good beginner setup. Well, and then there's some others that you might want to send it into the shop. As far as eight string guitars, <laughs> I admire people who I've seen some really really great players who do that who do that, have that, you know. Um, but practically speaking, I, I have no interest in it. Uh, I mean, if, if that's what you need to have to, um, to produce the music that you want to produce, by all means, go. But, you, but You're not going to go out and buy the Jared Dean's 10-string no, guitar I'm not, special? No, I'm not interested at all. I mean, and part of it, and I'll just be honest, part of it is six strings is hard enough. You know, uh, I've actually, you yeah. know, I've, I, I, I balked at seven strings. You know, I love Steve Vai, but, uh, and he is an innovator and there's no question about that, but I don't care about seven string guitars. I, 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 I and I'll tell you, I mean, you know, there's an advantage, I guess there's an advantage to being able to have that low B or, you know, if you like to drop It depends two. a lot on what you're playing. Right. Uh, it like- does. And Rob Scallon's got his seven his uh, signature seven string that Chapman Guitars is making, and because he plays a lot of the down tune chuggy kind of stuff, it makes sense to have a seven. string. And I, I guess so, and that's fine. And and look, hey, uh, you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize anybody's talent. If you know, you have to have a talent for, you know, but you also got to have to have, yeah. a, a, I guess, a desire for it. Um, but- now, yeah, having it for the sake of having yeah. it is one thing. Now, uh, eight-string basses. Now, this is a whole different animal, and I'll tell you <laughs> why this is a different animal. Um, is this an eight-string where it's 
actually eight differently tuned strings, say tuned in fourths or something like that, or is this? I was I was getting ready to ask if he knew because I was wondering if or, it was a standard four string, or with this is just a, four string with octave, an octave up, yeah, to get a like chorus, a, something you know. like uh, what's his face from Pearl Jam, uh, used at the beginning of Jeremy, um, and that's a c- cool sound, and you know that's fine, but you don't really have to change. You know, it's like a 12-string. A 12-string is really just a 6-string with, you know, four octave and then two, um, uh, what do you call it, um, unison strings. So you're not really changing much of your technique. I mean, there's certain things that you really you can't – it's hard yeah. to play lead on 12, but it can be done. Um, but having said that, uh, it's still, you know, you're same. also not pulling out the yeah. 12 string to play lead. You're playing right. it. So you have a right. nice rich. It, yeah. More of a chorusy kind of uh, acoustic sound. Um, but yeah, having, of course, without the pedal. Yes. You know, so, um, you know, but I have seen, you know, like six string basses and I, I think they're great. I think this, you know, this may sound a little, I guess, biased or bigoted against bass play bass players but i just think that uh bass guitar yeah bass guitar is just a whole different animal and it requires a whole you know i mean i've played bass myself but i'm a guitar player that can play some bass but you couldn't put me up against say giddy lee or of course you can't put too many people up against him but giddy lee or billy sheehan who who have you know they are bass players. They they're not guitar players. Michael playing Anthony. Bass. Michael yeah. Anthony. You know that. Uh, you know Victor Wooten. Uh, you know Stanley Clark. Uh, I mean these these guys are just <laughs> yeah. mo- uh, Jeff Berlin. These guys are just monsters, I... and uh, so these guys don't. You know them adding strings is not going to change their technique whatsoever. It's just no. adding strings. No. But for me, I would have to adjust my technique because of you know the fretboard would be so freaking wide and it, there's just certain things that are not practical. And uh, I'm not saying I couldn't do it. I just don't want to. So, what do I, I think I think it was a Victor Wooten interview. It's one of the interviews that the the content has stuck with me and now that we're you know live on air i can't remember if it was victor wooten or somebody somebody in the same uh general area he's like oh yeah well you know on bass there's no wrong notes there's just the beginning of a slide or a bend uh, <laughs> yeah like, <laughs> you know so now what was like the, okay you know was... when you're at that level four yeah, six eight yeah it, you know yeah, that's, uh, it doesn't really it's, matter it's just more strings right um <laughs> It's not going to change the quality of the music. Um, now, what was the follow-up question that 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 came on the heels of the of the eight-string bass? What was the next? It was about brand name or oh, not. Oh, brand name or by not. Mike Boost. Uh, it's it's Mike Bost. Uh, Bost. Yeah, sorry. Bost. Who uh, was on I, my? I gotta pull up my Boston. Yeah, he, he was on my. He was uh, my second guest, my third episode, but he was my second guest. Um, Go look it up, Mark. Um, but absolutely will. Um, brand name. Uh, this is another one of those areas that 
brand names can be misleading. Not because, I, okay, yeah. first of all, I'll say this. If some of the brands have changed owners, yes, they've and changed, changed owners, changed and so they've changed their quality. But I would, t- I would tell you this right now: if I saw a a Gibson, a, a, say a, a 1957 Gibson Les Paul, oh, you know, it's probably going to have oh, yeah. a price tag of twelve thousand dollars on it, and it's going to be worth every penny. I'm not going to spend that kind of money, but it would be worth it, you know. The Gibson name alone is, is that that right there was a signal at that time. Even it was e- a, even a even a low end Gibson. Right, sounds beautiful. Yeah, it's, it's just it's and just it top plays Beautiful. Or if another would be like a Fender Stratocaster. I mean, a Fender Stratocaster. Where you know, yeah. If 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 I saw you know a a Fender Stratocaster. You know, you're gonna pay. I, I saw one. I saw it was an SRV model. I think it was Mexican made. I'm not sure, but it was a Fender Strat, and it was an SRV number one Strat. And I have to tell yeah. you, I put my hand on that, and that guitar just was amazing. It was like eight hundred dollars, which was not bad. Cause I didn't have eight hundred Smackers, but um, that was not bad. That was not a bad price tag for that. And it was worth it. Was worth every penny. Um, having said that, and 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 some of these name brands do make um, less expensive guitars. And just because they're less expensive, oh. as long as they got that brand name on it, it's good. But but here's the problem. I, I'll give you an example. Now I'm going to speak about strings just for a second. Um. Yeah. I I would I love Gibson guitars, but I'll never buy Gibson strings. I don't even know if Gibson still makes oh, strings. Yeah. Okay. Well, um Fender does for sure. Yeah, I know and, Fender. And I does. know there's some people that swear by the Fender bullets. Yes. They, I know people they that will do too. not buy anything. And Fender but. X and uh you know, Eddie Van Halen used Fender XLs. Uh, I think he still does. Yeah. Um but at least in the early days, I know he did. Okay, but I bought a pack of Gibson strings one t- uh, twice, as a matter of fact, and both times the D string broke, and it was on it was on two different guitars, and I swore I would never buy those strings again. Now maybe it was a fluke, but it seems to me that just because I, I bought it because it had the Gibson name on it. And it was relatively inexpensive compared to the other strings because I was buying GHS Boomers, and so I think these were like four bucks a pack, three three dollars, four bucks a pack at that time, which was we're talking 1984, somewhere in the 85, somewhere around in there, and uh, so I bought that, I bought those strings. And I had the same exact problem. Like, ah, no, I'm not going to. I'm going to go back to the GHS Boomers because uh, I, I can't be, you know, what good does it do me to buy a pack of strings to have, you know, the, the D-string break? Um, so just because it has the brand name on it doesn't necessarily mean anything. It goes yeah, a long well, way. That, that comes back to the, when we were talking about the starter packs. Like I said, there, there's one particular brand 
that has a an artist signature starter pack that I was very surprised at the poor quality of guitar, in particular because of the brand, which is normally noted for a good beginner guitar, and the artist. I, I just, I cannot believe that he allowed his name to be put on that guitar. But, I mean, there it is, hanging up on the wall in the store, ready to be purchased. And, and uh, you know... And so then, there, there is something to be said for brands, and some of the, you know, we, we we've mentioned some of the some of the really big brands that everybody knows, like Fender and Gibson, and their their uh, subsidiary brands like Squire and Epiphone, because you know Fender owns Squire, so they they tend to use the Squire brand on their beginner to intermediate guitars, and right. Gibson uses the Epiphone brand for their beginner to intermediate guitars. But I mean, Schechter's a quality guitar. Absolutely. You'll, and I, I have I haven't heard too many people who are sad about their Schechter. Right. And uh, I remember you know. it's funny that you say that because I remember back in the early eighties, I remember a couple of artists who were endorsing Schechter and I didn't really think much of them. Uh uh Pete yeah. Townsend from The Who was using a Schechter. Uh Neil Sean was using Schechter. Um, and I'm trying to think there was somebody else yeah, that was, using, I love my Schecter, you know, and it I love my Schecter too. I, I have a Schecter, uh, Omen six, a, di a diamond series. And I, that guitar, and I got it for next to nothing. And my brother yeah. consequently has two Schecters. Well, and, and, that, and that being part of it, the, the Schecters are a little bit less expensive despite being a, a quality guitar, right? And but they didn't, and again, they're they're a lesser known brand outside of musician circles, like we know about right. it. But if you're just getting into it, you might not, right? And you, know, and you now, might have, you, you, you'll recognize the Yamaha name right. or the Ibanez name, and they are good guitars. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Although, as much as I love Yamaha, they charge a little surcharge for that name. Oh yeah, oh, you're getting no a question. good guitar. Yeah, but Yamaha's, you're paying for you know the Yamaha name. Yeah, I had a I had uh. a Yamaha. I, I've had a couple of Yamahas um, over the course of my guitar career, and I can tell you that they were top notch, wonderfully playing instruments. Yeah. great. So, um, and I'll tell you another one. Um, well, I had it on the tip of my tongue, but well, uh, Ibanez is. And I remember when Ibanez was not. You know, very, I remember when uh, Steve Lukather was using Ibanez. He was endorsing Ibanez back right around the Toto Four, that album Toto Four. And he, of course, he was using other. Yeah. He was using Valley Art Strat and stuff like that. But um, so Ibanez was. Uh, and, I think and, of Paul Gilbert when I and, think Ibanez too. And believe it or not, uh, Dave Murray and Adrian Smith from Iron Maiden were using Ibanez to start. And I don't know if you're aware of this, That's right. but the 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 famous Van Halen Shark guitar that <laughs> was yeah. you know that Eddie customized with a chainsaw that's on the back of Women and Children First originally mm -hmm. he recorded a lot of the non tremolo arm songs like You Really Got Me and and a uh, couple others uh, that he used for rhythms that he used for everything was. Um, an Ibanez Destroyer. He hadn't cut it yet. So he was using <laughs> before Destroyer. Before he destroyed it. Right. Yeah. yeah, before he destroyed it. You know, and well, he made it iconic. Okay. But, um, yeah. And, uh, but there's a, there's a couple of, there's a couple of others. And I, I had one on the tip of my tongue and I, and, and I lost my train of thought. Well, 
but, and there's some new brands that are coming up. Like yes, uh, the 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 so far all the brands that we've named are recognized established brands. And if you're just getting started and you don't have an expert to help you go shopping, then by all means, you know, go with some of the established brands, the recognized brands, because I. I I have yet to find an Ibanez that wasn't set up well out of the box. Right. Same for a Schecter. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, so, some of the others are a little hit or miss, but, you know, when you're at the beginner to intermediate level, but he, the experts are you almost always really well set up. Um, I have heard a number of different people whose opinion I trust speak well of Orangewood Guitars. And it's an up-and-coming brand that is apparently putting out some really quality instruments, uh, and they're they're fighting on price, so they they're within uh, more uh, restricted budgets. Now, so that that would be something to I look just, forward to. I just got again, my you know. I just got my train of thought back. Um, here here is a big name. Here's a big name, and they're expensive guitars i'm gonna tell you that right now they are expensive and they're worth every penny paul reed smith i yes paul reed smith guitars it there is something to that name okay and i yeah. have i have i have dreamed of owning a paul reed smith <laughs> uh and well, i have to tell you you get you get really the best sounds of of Gibson and Fender, which are, are, let's just be honest, they're the industry standard, okay? Uh, I mean, there's either Gibson Les Paul or there's a Fender Stratocaster. Those are, all guitars owe something to the one of those two guitars, um, to yeah, those so two designs. So, the you know, if I say Paul, not, yeah, if I say Paul Reed Smith, you're going to, yeah, yeah. you're going to have quality. So, but that doesn't mean that if you don't have a name brand, and I'll say this: I had a, I had a good friend of mine. Yeah. I had a good friend of mine named Greg Milby, who who's passed away. Um, he was probably one of the best guitar players I ever knew, personally in my life, and he had. A Stratocast. It was. It was. He had. He bought it at a pawn shop in Germany, and I don't even remember the name on it. But it was. It was some Japanese or Korean knockoff. But yeah. it would. It, it had. You know. I'm sure there was some. I. I if I'd have measured, it, I'm sure that that there'd be measurement differences and stuff like that. But that guitar played like a dream. It, it it was it was a Stratocaster. It just wasn't a Fender Stratocaster. It wasn't you know. Um, well, I I still have that Samick knockoff that uh, you helped me buy when I was right. getting started with electric. Right. Uh, yeah, I remember. And, yeah, Samick was another one that, that you know. I, that it's another one that it's not a it's not a big name brand, but it plays beautiful. It probably came out of the same factory as one of the Fender Strats. But I think that my friend, I think Greg's uh, Strat copy was a fluke. I don't I think I think yeah. it would just it you know it was one of those situations yeah. when, where when you start shopping outside the brand it starts to get a little more right. hit or miss. It's very if you hit or know miss. what you're looking for if you know what you're listening for you might be able to find some gems out there. Right. 
But um, you have to, you not, have not, to. Not the Steve I signature gem, but, you know, yeah. some really nice guitars. <laughs> Which is a nice <laughs> guitar. All right. Um, so, you know, I, I, it, it's, it's, I, I really think that uh, name brand carries something, but it's not the be-all, end-all. Um, all right. Yeah. What's the next question? And there are some name brands that aren't what they used to be, like Taylor Guitars. I used to love them. They used to be phenomenal. I don't know what changed, but in the last few years, some of the Taylor guitars that have come through the shop have not been uh, up to their usual standards, shall we say. Well, it's interesting you say that because I happen to know that there's a question in there about Martin or Taylor. Um, but uh. let's, uh, that's all right. That's fine. Um, what's the next question up? Okay. Now, uh, okay. That's fine. Yeah. Let, let's go. Let, well, I'm I'm trying to keep an eye on time too. I'm watching time um, too, so. Okay. So, the uh, the dashingly handsome baritone Anon Junior <laughs> was going to ask you about your preferred setup: low action, high action, preferred string gauges, and recommendations for someone starting out. <sighs> okay. Um, I know where I sit, but I'm curious. Uh, about your recommendations on these particular things. And it's one of those, when I worked on the retail side, we got a lot of people asking about setup questions because they saw a video about setup, but the person in the video didn't explain anything. They just told you their opinion as if it was fact. Well, and, and see, that's, that's an inherent problem with me answering this question because I'm going to be basically <laughs> doing the same thing because it's it's largely personalized and it's over... 30 years and it's always in flux uh i have to tell you that uh each guitar that i have and i have i have an epiphone les paul i have a squire stratocaster i have a Schechter omen 6 i have an ibanez rg 550 i have uh, an alvarez 12 string okay i have a dean ml and all of those guitars are different animals, all of them. I, I have my Schecter uh, ha, uh, drop D half step, drop D flat. I have my Ibanez yeah. with a Floyd Rose and 24 frets set to E flat. I have my my Les Paul and set up to I, standard. I, I will say that I am surprised that you asked for nines on the. And uh, I and I asked for nines Ibanez. when I used to I used to run tens. Okay. <laughs> Uh, on my Schecter, I ran tens for a long time, and then uh, on my on my uh, Squire Strat, I have it in standard tuning. Okay, all of them I use my Squire Strat at church. I used I've used my Les Paul at church, but I I don't do as I actually ma mainly practice on that guitar. Although I've got some I got some killer uh, Demarzio Dirt, Dirty Fingers pickups that sound awesome um, in that guitar. But each guitar has a different function, and I have a, I have a different need. And so it, when you tune standard, for example, it's going to feel different when you tune down a half step. It's going to feel different. There's a scale difference between the Les Paul and the Strat. There's also a scale difference between the Les Paul Strat and my Schecter. There's a... There's a there's somewhat of a scale difference between my Schecter and my Ibanez, even though they're both 24 frets. You know, the, I got a, I've got a Floyd Rose tremolo arm on my 
on my Ibanez. And and then you, at, you know. Yeah, I still ha- don't like working on those. <laughs> you know, and see, that's the other thing. So, um, you know, set up, you set up for intonation. You know, you want, you want your guitars to resonate properly and, and, and be in tune as much as possible, as much as the design will allow. Um, and each one has its own different characteristics and their own different feel. So I try to, I try to set up all my guitars so that they have a similar feel, not necessarily the same feel, but a similar feel. In other words, I, you know, and that's one of the reasons why I went back to nines because I got, I, I, the, the tonal difference of having heavier gauge strings just, it wasn't that significant of a difference. And, you know, when you, oh, I looked at my heroes like Eddie Van Halen or even Ingve Malmsteen, they're using thinner strings. They're using nines, and I think oh, yeah. Malmsteen uses eights. Um, and uh, I, Billy Gibbons, Billy uses, Gibbons eights. uses eights. And, uh, and then I remember reading K.K. Downing from Judas Priest used sevens. Uh, I, uh, B.B. King used to use sevens. B.B. King used to use sevens, you know, and... Which explains why so, his strings were breaking all the time. Right, I exactly. I mean, when you bend like that with sevens. Right, and and so, <laughs> you know, I, I had to I had to balance between tone, sustain, feel, and since each guitar functions differently, sounds differently, that balance is going to be constantly ever-shifting. And then, of course, I'm getting older, my hands, you know, are maybe get more fatigued. Say if I'm having to run tens all the time, so I'm like, yeah, okay, I don't really need that. The other thing is, you know, like balance on the tremolo arm. Uh, do I really need? Yeah. The, you know, it, it just all, all of these things are kind of nebulous, you know. And so, basically, I and then and then the other thing you have to consider is the distance from the pickup magnet to the string itself because the 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 magnetic field creates a drag on the string oh, that should that should be a part of a good guitar setup it should i've definitely learned a lot more about that as a part of my repair classes right now with the guitar repair bear classes in mind, and so if you're getting a professional to set it up that that should be less of a factor it's less of a factor but it's because they still... should be adjusting the height right it, but see, and and there lies the problem. I've, I, I, people like say Michael Schenker, you liked really high setups. I, I remember reading where some of these guys were like, you know, I start really liking these really high setups because even though, even though it makes it harder to play, the the tone is worth it. Well, okay, that's fine. But you know, if you've been playing, if you if you're used to playing, you know. 100 200 gigs a year um and you're playing every night your hands are going to be conditioned to those kind of things that the effect on your technique is going to be negligible i don't play that often i don't play like that and i'm not you know and so you know maybe if i did maybe i would need to make those kind of adjustments but i don't you're not doing it Ted Nugent, two hundred and sixty no, shows a exactly. year kind of schedule, and and see that's the other thing is I you know I don't I don't change my strings unless I absolutely have to, you know I mean I'll I, 
you know, it'd be one thing if but I was to getting... be clear for the audience, he is saying you do have to change your yes, strings. Yes, you do have to change your strings. I mentioned that only because some people came in with some guitar problems and I, I was afraid to touch the strings because my tetanus shot hadn't been up to date. <laughs> yes. You know, yes, you could stain your white <laughs> shirt for sure. Um, but what do I, my setup, generally speaking, and, and this is this is the best I can give you really, generally speaking, I like low action. I like a relatively flat fretboard. There's got to be some camber in it because otherwise, you know, I don't yeah. want, I don't like buzz. You know, I don't, I don't. I don't like hair fret buzz, just string buzz. Um, but at the same time, I've got to be able to, I, I don't want to feel like when I, I, I don't want to feel like I have to notch an arrow <laughs> in it. And it looks like a, bu- uh, you know, I don't want that, but I, so I like a relatively flat and, yeah. and wide um, fretboard. Uh, I prefer. Kind of like Steve Vai. Yeah. I, but I actually believe it or not, cause I have two, two guitars that are 24 frets and I actually think they're a little, especially up on the higher frets, I think they're a little more difficult to manhandle than my Paul, which is only 22 frets and my, and my Strat, which is only 21 frets. And, um, yeah. Uh, oddly enough, my Dean ML is, uh, has a great feel. Um, but there's, I have some imbe- there's some weight imbalance with that if I ever have to play it live. But that's that's not that's beyond the scope of this question. Uh, so generally speaking, I like to keep my action low. I like to keep I like my fretboards. I like I like wide frets. I do. I prefer wide frets. And I you re- cannot lie. And I cannot lie. I like wide frets, and I cannot lie. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry for that, folks. And. Uh, <laughs> And then, no, he's not. I but I and I like to have. To be honest with you, I think the guitar sounds better. Even though I have some guitars tuned down, I think the guitar sounds better in standard tuning. I think it resonates better. Uh, there's there's a couple of arguments, the legitimate arguments that don't necessarily agree with that. But for my ears. Uh, I think the guitar just sounds better in standard tuning. Um, but then again, my hero is Eddie Van Halen. He tuned down uh, a half step. All since, all great rock since, stars. Since we're, and that's the other thing. Since we're talking about uh, incendiary questions, uh, dragging off, or running, riffing off of the uh, the preferred setup, do you recommend low actions for someone starting out, or do you recommend them go a little bit higher? Yeah, I and recommend. Should somebody start off on an acoustic or should somebody start off on an electric? Because um, I've been around a number of teachers who have very strong opinions on what their people should start off on, and, and I've been around teachers who are, man, whatever's going to get you come to class every week, that's what you should grab. I I would probably fall in that camp. Um, personally, I think you should have a low action. Uh, especially when starting out because uh you know like you said before you you don't want to discourage the player the, the you know it, but it, it you know it's like if you're if you're working out you don't immediately go if you're starting to work out you you, you don't go straight to the you know 400 pound pound 
You don't start putting 45-pound plates on the bar and go, all right, I'm ready to begin. You don't do that. Uh, But at the same time, if you don't put any kind of weight, you're not going to get any benefit from your workout. So uh, when you're starting out, you're just trying to get the mechanics down. Why make it harder than you have to? Um, So, yeah, I would fall with that. But I also know that every player, every player and every style – Every style has different requirements, and every player has different physiology. So what may work for this student over here may not work for this student over here. And what the person needs for this kind of style, you know, if you're playing, for example, if you're if you're studying classical guitar, um, it's not a good idea to have a, a Gibson Jumbo because that's not what you learned <laughs> classical on, you know. And yeah. Uh, you know that uses gut strings and and not metal strings and things. Sounds like that. beautiful. It sounds beautiful, but and you're not but it's bending. Very you don't, different. You don't bend in classical guitar, you know. And no. so there's you know, slurring is different and vibrato is different. Stuff like that. nothing wrong with that. It just happens to be different. And so your requirements are going to be different. So, I, you know, but if you're going to be trying to learn ACDC songs. You know, Angus Young uses SG, Gibson SGs, which are thin, yeah. small guitars. He's a small guy. And he uses, you know, it's got thin necks. It's perfect for him. So you go with yeah, what I just, works. I, I fi- earlier this year, I finished building an SG kit. And I think the next go round, I'd like to put a thicker Les Paul style neck on it. And see, if, and w- just because for me personally, I like the thicker necks. And and see, there I mean, you I go. don't want to be like fretting a baseball bat, but right. uh, um, how much time have I got with you? Because we're approaching the two-hour mark. Uh, I can give you maybe two more questions. Okay. And since one of them really, really fits well with where we've been on the last one, uh. How about left-handed guitars? Okay. Because I've seen teachers insist that if you are left-handed, you must get a left-handed guitar. Others like to point out that there's no lefty violins, there's no lefty violas, there's no lefty trumpets. So why should the guitar be different? Is is this also from the incredibly handsome and debonair Anand Jr.? Yes, it is. Okay. (laughs) Um, And and I only mention this because I, I have seen... Literal shouting matches between teachers over this subject. Okay. And well, I, I felt really bad for the students on this one. And it's one of those things that I'd like people to get be a little uh, informed about going into things. Because I, I know that one of the issues we run into is a teacher will insist a student have a left-handed guitar. And then we go look at the um, stunning array of three models of left-handed guitar we can get. Uh, <laughs> Okay, well, first of all, let me, and the similar similar lack of accessories. Let me let me let me say two things before I officially answer this question. Number one, my answer is probably not going to help the debate. Uh, it's not, it's, you know, uh, it's it's definitely not going to help the debate because um, I I'm just another opinion on this. However, uh, 
Well, but being uh, a lefty, you are a lefty, an informed opinion on uh, this. Right. Okay. The second thing is, I want the next question. There's a question on there from my buddy Five Minutes that I want to answer, and that one's going to take a little time, so I won't. It's. I think it's question number. I don't 20. think you have it listed as five minutes. Uh, you said question twenty-one, correct? Well, no. This one's question twenty. Okay. I, I did say question twenty-one. Okay. Yeah, I will make sure. I will make sure I read that one next. Okay. So. Um, so to answer this question, what is my opinion on left-handed guitars? And I, could you reread that question so that I, uh, I, really seriously, I want you to reread that question so I can yeah. answer it thoroughly. Yeah, because it, it, the 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 root of the question was opinions on left-handed guitars. Because I've seen teachers okay. insist that if you are left-handed, you get a left-handed guitar. And the others like to point out that there's no lefty violins, there's no lefty violas, there's no lefty cellos or trumpets or tubas. No other instrument has a left-handed variety other than guitar. So why should the guitar be different? It's a right-handed. This is the this is the instrument. Okay. And one of the one of the issues is that I know that some of the students get stuck in the middle because finding left-handed guitars and left-handed gear is it's frustrating. Okay. Because there's not a lot of variety there. All right. I'm going to answer this question in this way. First of all, as you mentioned, I am left-handed. I write left-handed. I shoot a basketball left-handed. But I throw a baseball right-handed. Um, there's things that I do better right-handed than I do left-handed. And there's other things that I, I almost reference everything to my left hand. Now, that why is that crucial? Because the name left-handed guitar, right-handed guitar, to the uninitiated, is a misnomer. Okay, when we say right-handed guitar, or what is actually, for lack of a better term, we're going to call it the normal way to play the guitar, the traditional way to play the instrument. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I use normal because, well, it is the norm. Uh, it's it's not a it's not a slam against the other way. It's just not. It's just yeah, you don't call it a right-handed right. violin. You call it a violin. Right. You call it violin. Uh, well, th- when we say right-handed, what we're referring to is the picking hand, not the fretting hand. So when we say right-handed, that's with the. I, I've had people ask me. that question too well if you're left-handed how come you're playing right-handed i'm playing right hand i'm actually technically all the physical work of sounding the chord of making the notes and stuff like that comes from the left hand on the fretboard when you're picking with the right hand okay so it made sense to me when i first started i gravitated towards right-handed guitars because i was left-handed in other words it was easier for me to articulate the notes, uh, the 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 chords and everything, the, all the fingerings, with my left hand because I already had the facility there. Okay, at, at when I started, picking was just really, well, strumming. You know, playing downstrokes for power chords. You know, strumming down, up, down, up, down, up. That was a piece of cake. That was no different than dribbling a basketball. So, and I dribble, I, I shoot with my left-handed, but I dribble with my right. It, it's it's, it's kind of convoluted. 
So for me, it was natural to go to a right-handed guitar. I was I was actually kind of grateful uh, because I'd seen even pictures of Jimi Hendrix or Tony Iommi and and Elliot Easton, and they're all lefties. They pl- they pick with their left hand. They fret with their right hand. I can't do that. I I you know I can't write with my right hand, but I can do fine motor skills with my left. It it was just it's just that's just the way it happened to work out for me. Now how do I do? I personally I don't think people. I think there's a difference between perception and actual physical ability, because someone who is left-handed. If, if, if you have a teacher and they say they see them right with their left hand or they do most things with their left hand and they say, oh, you need a left-handed guitar, I think that's misleading because you have no facility in either hand. When you start out, you, you, you don't know how to make chords or anything like that. So when you're telling them to play left-handed, I think you're actually... Um, I think you're actually misleading. I'm not intentionally, but I think you're actually misleading them because you think that they're going to have more picking articulation in the left hand. And it's a whole different, it's a different, um, the two it's a hands, different skill. it's a different skill. Yeah. And, and, and what, so, when you're asking for questions, that, that, that was one of the questions that was on my mind in part, because again, it, it, it led to some very um, right. I understand the heat, but I, vigorous I, discussions yeah. between teachers. But see, the problem and is it, uh, it, it, I, everybody's everybody's got an opinion. I'm no different. Everybody's got an opinion. Oh, I know. You ask twelve but, guitarists, you'll get thirteen opinions. Exactly. Uh, but <laughs> the the problem is that there are people like you know. I I was I listened to a podcast interview with Elliot Easton. Uh, the No Guitar is Safe podcast with Jude Gold from Guitar Player Magazine. Great podcast. And um, Elliot Easton, was he was asked this question. He said, you know, is there a difference between, did you, did you were you forced to do that? Did you do it naturally? He goes, I actually think that it's better. And I, gotta rem- I don't remember his exact answer. I'm going to have to go back and listen to it. But he, he, he made a very good point. He said that, um, he said that it just seemed that, my left hand was much more articulate with picking. I mean, he's actually a pretty quick guitar player too. Uh, some of those, uh, some of those um, uh, cars solos that that he did are, you know, pretty cool. You know, pretty pretty quick. Like that uh, song "Shake It Up." He does the solo in that. That's a pretty cool solo. Um, but I don't know. He just seemed his his answer, and I don't remember exactly the words, but it, he seemed to make a very very good argument that him playing left handed seemed to be better than playing right handed. But again, that yeah, just that happened to be that, that and, worked and, for him. It worked for Tony Iommi. Obviously, it clearly it worked for Jimi Hendrix. Um, yeah. Uh, so, I, I guess what I had on my mind too was one of the one of the tech podcasters that I listened to. Since the the pandemic killed all his speaking, you know, he had a whole bunch of speaking uh, gigs lined up, and then you know we're we're locked down, we're at home, and he's like, "Well, what am I going right. to do with all this time on my hands?" Right. Oh, I know. 
uh, Mark, I lost you. Mark? I'll learn guitar. Months. He's waiting for this guitar to come in because it, it was one of those things that, you know... Yes, a warehouse of them sitting ready to ship out. Uh, Mark, they'll often make them only when requested. Hope, time out, and time so out. And so he spent... Time out. Oh. Uh, you just you just had a, a couple of flutters. I, you, you went, I lost you there for like a couple of seconds. Oh. So uh, okay. I missed part of part of what you were saying um so okay. uh, I, I got i got i got the you know i got to the part where you said that he had some time on his hands so he was gonna and then there was like uh, and i lost you so sorry about that that's all right yeah he, he had he had some time on his hands so he figured i know i'll learn guitar it's one of those things that i've always been putting off and uh you know good time to do it right and he asked his Twitter followers, you know, what should he get? And everybody kept saying, you're left-handed. You should get a left-handed guitar. And so he orders this left-handed guitar and is waiting months for this guitar to come in because it's not something that the companies keep. No, they don't. They don't keep it. And again, we had, we had a blank out again. Um, I don't know what's going on. Uh, so, I'm going to try and fill some of this. A stockpile? Is it because I'm getting too vigorous? You, Am you, I getting too emotional on this? No, it, you, I, we, I lost you again. It, it, it's like all of a sudden you freeze up and I'm like, Mark, Mark. So, oh look, um, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to try it. There was something you said just, he was saying that, you know, everybody was telling him to go get this. And to me, that's like people you know well, I know you're not on Facebook but uh, I, I see this all the time everybody's an expert except the experts everybody knows what he needs to do what he ought to do you know what you ought to do oh, you're left-handed you need to go get left you, you don't what qualifies you to make that kind of comment I would tell people I would tell people I would tell people since if you're left-handed you're more articulate in your left hand that it would be easier and, to, and it's also, by the way, because 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 we've had parts of this conversation before. Yes, that is some of the advice that lost you again. I I don't. That know. I have given cut play a standard guitar, and your fretting hand will be a lot more articulate. I lost you again, uh, but oh. I I I don't know what's I don't know something's interfering with the signal or something like that so but yes it, i i caught the general gist of what you were saying and and see that's that's the that's the problem that i have with some of these uh some of these people giving advice even 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 teachers uh you know you have to you really have to tailor make your your instruction whether it's music theory uh, basic technique, type of guitar. You have to. There's there's so many factors that you have to, that goes into catering to the needs of the student, and that's the real thing. You need to cater to the needs of the student, not to your personal opinion. Okay, if it, you know, I mean, and I'll go back to Eddie Van Halen. You know, there was a lot of things he did because he didn't know any better, and yeah. he went. You mean like the one pickup? 
well, the one pickup or, you know, he and, and there were people who, you know, told him, oh, you can't. Uh, Tony Omi's another one. Oh, you know, you you won't be able to do it like that. We can't we can't make a pickup like that or we can't you know, we can't we can't make strings like that. You know, he he needed he needed thinner strings because he had the accident with his fingers and it hurt to play. So he went to places and said, oh, I need this kind of string. Oh, we can't make that. Oh, we can't do that. And then, of course, he finds, I think he, he got some banjo strings or something like that. And then all of a sudden, when he yeah. gets a little bit of name, now everybody can say, oh, yeah, we can do that. You know, people were telling, you know, Eddie's looking, Eddie's looking to get more out of his amp. And so people were saying, oh, you can't Although, do that. To, to be fair, the industry as a whole has gotten a lot better about that. Companies like Chapman Guitars are more than willing to try whatever you want to build. Oh yeah, and and I'm not saying um, that there isn't, and, you know, but but generally speaking, that that there's this there's this issue with, uh, you're you really don't know what your student needs, and so you're you're trying to apply a a consensus. To, and I get it. I understand. We all have to have something to start with. We all have to have a general idea. But if you're a teacher, you have to be able to. I mean, what if, what if you get somebody say who has maybe he had an accident and he has three fingers on his fretting hand? What are you going to tell him? Oh, you can't play guitar. Or what are you going to tell somebody who's you know sitting in a wheelchair? Or what are you going to tell somebody? You know, maybe a student who wants to play music. What are you gonna, what are you gonna tell a student who maybe, who's blind, but wants to play the guitar? I mean, see, yeah. these are I, I realize, and those aren't necessarily normal circumstances, but there are circumstances, whether it's again in technique or theory, or in setup or anything like that. You know, there are limitations that you must consider in in each student and every student is different and every requirement, every musical requirement is different. So to sit there and say, well, you know, learn left-handed. I'm not saying that their, that their points are illegitimate, but you know, I, I don't think that everybody is considering all angles of this. They're simply saying, this is what I think because this is what I experienced. Okay. And that's fine. But you haven't experienced everything, so you know it, it's 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 kind of like this, okay? I, I, some people have looked at my live rig, and they go, I, I had a, I, I went to play um, the fair last summer, uh, with not with my band but with the praise team, and I you know I had my pedal board and I had my I had well, actually two pedal boards and I had this that and the other I had a little Line Six amp, and stuff like that. But the other guitar player says. You know, what do you need all that stuff for? You, you know, I got this little, you know, two-in-one thing. That's great. That's fine. But I heard them play before us. And, well, quite honestly, uh, I wasn't impressed. Now, he wasn't there to impress me. And I think I lost you again. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry. He, he, I, you know. All right, let's. Let well, while the uh, while the audio still holds out, let's try to get one last question in. Okay. Well, I, I need to and, at least finish uh, this thought. Let me finish this thought because okay. this is important. 
okay? And that is that it's easy for you to tell me what I need to do, but I got up there, and when I played, I had my sound, I had everything that I needed, and uh, I was heard. And, I mean, and I didn't have to be loud or anything like that. I, and I wasn't playing heavy metal setup either. I was, you know, it was more praise and worship stuff. But I, you know, I had some distorted guitar in there. But I had different tones at my, my feet. I had options. I could do things more than he could. And so, you know, that's, I, I just kind of blew it off. And, okay, that's cool. I'm glad you need that. I'll, you know, you do your thing. I'll do my thing. You know, everybody's an expert. And... So, especially uh, these days. Yeah, especially these days. So, all right. So, what is the final question here? The final question comes from Five Minutes. A lot of us who love Jesus, modern music, and blending the two have also expressed criticisms of what's become known as modern worship. There, there's some air quotes there for the audio listeners. Isn't the criticisms of modern And worship the same by well-meaning believers back in the 70s and 80s okay you got cut off again so uh um, <sighs> it's all right it's all right you got the majority okay. of the question but you, i want you to read that final sentence that isn't the modern okay read that part isn't the criticism of modern worship the same kind of criticism that was laid at our feet over love of rock music by well-meaning believers back in the 70s and 80s Yes, um, it is, and I had I, I I read this question several times to make sure that I understood what what five was trying to say, and I remember, I you know I was I started getting into music in the in the early eighties, and uh, I was going to say you do remember the seventies. Yes, and 80s. I do, I do. But oddly enough, that I hadn't heard anything about the whole backward masking and the record burning and stuff like that until uh, until one day when uh, there was an article in the in the in the Fayetteville Observer about some church I don't remember which church it was they were having a book burning or not book burning a uh, that's a whole different <laughs> group um, they yeah, were that's having, a whole different yeah thing. that's a whole different thing. Um, they were having a record burning. There were people, kids, you know, bringing their records and cassettes. And so my father, he called a family meeting. You know, those are always never good. And um, he starts telling us, because by that time I had a substantial collection. Well, I had some eight tracks, but I had a substantial collection of music. And you see, kids, back in the day. Yeah, back in the music day. Music came on. Yes. Uh, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't have iPhones and iPads and stuff like that. Um, so, but I had a substantial collection, and I didn't think anything of it because my dad had a substantial collection of audio recordings. Uh, it wasn't rock, but he had a substantial, you know, he had some, he had some what we would call secular music, uh, but it wasn't, it wasn't rock. Some Merle Haggard. Yeah, well, I mean, he had some of that. I mean, he, we had Elvis, and we had the Platters, and my dad had like stuff like the Jackie Gleason Orchestra and things like that. That's all secular music. Nothing yeah. wrong with it. it just, but so I didn't think anything of it. Well, my dad has my brother and I in there, and my mom in there, and they're ask, you know, they have us read the article, and we're talking about it, and I'm like, 
I don't understand what the big deal is. I mean, there's some things that I chose not to engage in just because of the name. I wasn't into Black Sabbath at the time. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't have any problem with it now, but back in the day, I was like, yeah, okay, I don't want to listen to that, something like that. But I was like, I, I don't understand what the big deal is. I mean, it's just a different style of music. And uh, that was, you know, that was certainly a, a legitimate that, that was well, not a legitimate, but that was certainly a complaint back in the day. They used to tell us, you know, we can't. I actually had a, a youth leader, uh, a lady youth leader, well, the wife of a youth leader, say to me, You can't glorify Jesus and listen to that music at the same time. You just can't do it. It can't be done. All right. Okay, whatever. Well, now here we are, you know, decades later. I did say decades. Um, decades later, and. Um, you know, there's this criticism of some of the praise and worship music that's coming out, and I have some criticisms of it too, but not for the same reason that some of these others have criticism of it. Um, personally, I'll flat out say I don't, I don't, I don't like most of it, not because of the lyrical content. I just think most of the music is crap. But that's my opinion. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to say that. It, I'm not going to. Blame it on the devil. I'm not going to say. I'm, I'm okay with saying it's not my style. It's not my style. And you know? I think it's crap. I don't like it, but I don't like it personally. However, I have to play some of it in my church settings. And when I'm playing the instrument versus listening, it's a whole different world. Okay. And I, I realize that kind of goes out of the scope of this question, but my point here is that. Now we're seeing people criticize modern praise and worship that it's, you know, it's not gospel enough or it's not, um, you know, there's not enough Jesus in it or it's got too much touchy-feely in it, which I agree it does. A lot of it does. Or, you know, yeah. I mean, there's, there's a song called um, uh, Reckless Love that um, I've seen some criticism, well, God's love is not reckless. It's, you know, and I'm like, you guys are kind of, you know, you're, uh, you're, what, what is it? Uh, you're, you're straining out a camel and swallowing, or swallowing, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel kind of thing. And yeah. so, you know, Five's question is very legitimate. You know, we used to get all sorts of grief for the kind of music that we wanted to play. You know, I wanted to play... I wanted to play Christian. I wanted to play rock music with Christian lyrics. I wanted to, because I love that sound. I didn't. I wasn't going to play it in church necessarily, but I wanted to be able to do that. And there were people who told me you can't even play that style because it sounds too much like the world. Well, now, yeah, but now know, it does. It does seem like we're kind of conflating two different things, though. Because there, there is certainly a criticism to be had for the lyrical content, and then there's the question of style. Yes, I, that that style, has been style my whole, style. That has been my whole. Yeah. That's been my whole issue. You know, I remember talking to my dad. We would talk about this, and I, I actually had to tell my dad. You know, Dad, the reason why you don't like this is because. It has nothing to do with the lyrical content because some of the music my dad was listening to, if you really listen to the lyrics, weren't exactly pure as the wind-driven style. Oh, yeah. 
And I mean, oh, oh, I, I've got a, I've got a good one for this. Okay, so, I used to work, I used to work at a hospital where, where I, I was in the training department. We would teach some in class, some classroom based classes, and we. We found that if you played some music while you're doing the registration and all that stuff, people kind of relaxed a little bit. And we used to play a mix of all sorts of different stuff. And, and people were complaining about the lyrics. People were complaining about, well, I don't know. I don't know that you should be playing that at a work, uh, a, a workplace environment. Like, really? Um, okay. So we switched to beach music, and everybody kept talking about how wonderful it was. Not not even considering the fact that the song Backfield in Motion was not a song about football. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> and that a great many of the lyrics were far worse than anything we were playing before. But it was beach music, and it sounded nice. Right, and see, so and that's, it didn't sound that's wrong. where the problem is. Now, now my, my issue with most modern praise and worship music is actually the same criticism I have for most modern pop music. A lot of it sounds the same. It's, you know, and it's very, it's very, uh, to me, it, the it's, tonal variety I is just, lacking. Yeah, it's, it's, and it's not creative at all. And usually, it, it, usually the argument I hear is, well, you know, we're not trying to, we're not trying to lift ourselves up. We're trying to praise Jesus. Yeah, and you're praising Jesus with crap music. You know, I'm sorry, but that's just it. I, I mean, but I like thought I said, it was supposed to be your best. Yeah, exactly. But then again, maybe that is their best. I don't know. But it, it it's all generic to me. But that's my personal taste. Okay. Now, when we're in church, I don't go. Now, I'm not going to play this song because it it doesn't satisfy me artistically. It has nothing to do with that. I I never do that. I never say I'm not going to play a song. I, as a matter of fact, I do what I can. Whenever I get a, a piece of something that I personally don't like, I try to make it something that I will like. Now, that doesn't mean that I do use distortion. I have, but I don't always. Sometimes I use real subtle things that, you know, I love doing Hendrixy kind of stuff. You'd be amazed at a how... A little light flange. Yeah, just a little light flange or some chorus or something like that. You'd be amazed. Uh, I tell you what. Try playing some of these songs with a, a Wind Cries Mary kind of sound, that, that crystal, yeah. crystalline strat kind of sound, or trying to play, try to play some of these songs. I actually, I actually kind of, I won't say what song I stole it from, but there's a song that, my, that our praise and worship leader wrote, and I actually took a lick, and I modified it, but I took a lick from a Zach Wild. it was kind of a country acoustic lick, and I made I made it a part of that, and it 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 just made the whole song. I mean, there's some alterations, so it's not ex exact lift, but yeah, I used the I used the technique. Yeah, but it's still a little bit of chicken picking. In right, it. exactly. And I used it, and that made the song for me. Now, I didn't think it was a bad song, but I I created a part. I made a part that was musically satisfying artistically satisfying and sounded great and i'll do that with songs all the time i'll, I'll throw licks in and stuff like that i'll try i try to take unorthodox approaches and again you don't have to be oh i'm only gonna play power chords you don't have to do that as a matter of fact i rarely do that i'll employ jazz ideas you know anything that will make it more interesting to me 
Because the people out in the audience don't care. The people out in the audience, if they're worshiping, they're not really paying attention to what you're doing. Okay? They just know that they're being lifted and they're being carried off. So it doesn't really matter. They recognize the song, so they know they can follow along. And the the, the preacher who's ever leading worship and stuff like that, he's not worried about what we're doing. He's not even concerned about what we're doing. So in that, I, I make things better. But in reality... In some ways, I hate to say it like this, but in some ways, I'm having I'm forced to cover a turd in chocolate. And I mean, I hate to put yeah. it like that, but that's the that's the truth of the matter. So, getting back to five minutes question and and starting to close out this this particular episode, at least this part of the Q and A, because I we're gonna do uh, we're gonna do some more Q and A. Um, yeah, we get questions time. for a couple more. Um, but to answer five's question, yes, it. it it is interesting how, in some ways, we become our parents, and it's it's interesting how it, it's interesting how the criticisms that we balked at when we were young and dumb, now we're we're the ones making those very arguments, and I say we, I'm usually not one of those, but I have found myself on occasion sounding like my dad or my mom <laughs> with regard, and I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. And it's always the most terrifying moment when something your parents terrifying. used to so, yell at you comes out of your mouth yeah, at somebody else. Yeah, it, it is the same criticism <laughs> that 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 was leveled at us. You know, we we loved Jesus and and we loved serving in church and we lo- but we also loved we loved the sound of of our music. And and uh we were we spent so much time fighting for that that I think maybe we lost and there were there were some people who had criticism, and I don't think they were all completely illegitimate uh, criticism. You know, of course, I'm looking back on it now as a as a 52 year old male. You know, I'm obviously going to think of things differently than when I was 17, but I haven't really changed that much in my opinions regarding music. So, uh, the short answer that I've made rather long to five's question is yeah uh it is the same criticism it is the uh it is the same situ- it's, it is the same situation that we found ourselves in uh i've backed off the mic a little bit and i'm sorry about that um so and i've lost mark again <laughs> we've been sorry folks we've been having a couple of technical issues uh so i'm gonna try to start wrapping up some of these questions or this question here that uh yeah it is true that that we have um probably leveled the same criticism that was leveled at us when we were younger okay well i'm sorry about that folks but we've been unceremoniously disconnected on mark's end from the internet, so uh, we were getting ready to wrap it up anyway, and I want to thank Mark Bustle Jr. for uh, helping me do this Q&A, and I realized that we didn't get to all your questions. I missed a lot of questions, but that's okay. We had plenty of content, and we have plenty more, 
So I think Mark and I are going to do part two. I don't know when yet, but we will do a part two of the guitar Q&A. I want to thank everybody for sending in their questions. And uh, they were all great questions, really, really good questions. And uh, <clears throat> we may revisit a couple of them in the, in the process. But anyway, uh, I, had a, I had a good time trying to, to kind of give my opinion on these. And uh, please continue sending in your questions to me. Either text me, message me, uh, send me the questions on Facebook, or uh, you can make a comment at Podbean. I'll be happy. We're gonna we're gonna do we're gonna do a part two, and we're gonna get to the questions we didn't get to. Some really good ones coming up. And uh, I hope this was informative. I hope you enjoyed yourself. I look forward to the next time when thoughts from the lawnmower can talk more about guitar. All right, we'll see you later. Bye. Oh, and before I let you go, uh, Mark asked me to point everybody to anonjr.com, a n o n j r.com for what he's working on outside of his luthier work. So if you want to check out some of the stuff that he's actually doing, go to anon.com, excuse me, anonjr.com and check it out. Thanks a lot, folks. <laughs>